for this. What is nothing? Yeah, that's D. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. Hi, welcome to That's Deep, Bro. I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky. Thank you for downloading this episode. Uh, very excited. I'm going to talk today about the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson and some other stuff, some other ideas. But first, I have some live dates to announce. Uh, we're doing your mom's house live the 12th of February at the Irvine Improv. The 7 o'clock show is sold out. The 9 o'clock show is almost sold out. Yoshi Obayashi joins us at the 9 o'clock show. We're doing two different shows, so if you want to see both, that would be fine. You won't double up. And then um, February 17th, uh, let's see, Hollywood Improv. I'm headlining that show. I believe it starts at 7.30. And then um, February 18th, I'm headlining Flappers Comedy Club. I'm doing an hour, guys. So this isn't just like some bullshit 15-minute spot. This is legit. And I have uh, some friends joining me on both of those shows. So it should be pretty fun. April 13th through 15th, the Brea Improv in Brea, California, May 4th through 5th, Phoenix, Arizona, Stand Up Live, May 19th through 20th, New York City, Gotham Comedy Club, and I just added Denver, June 1st through 3rd, Denver Comedy Works, the downtown one, and then June 16th and 17th, San Francisco at the Punchline Comedy Club. Very, very exciting stuff. Um, also, I made a list of music that I play on this show on Spotify. If you want to listen, it is at Your Mom's Podcast. That's the username, Your Mom's Podcast. You can hear all the uh, songs that I play on this show. Uh, what else? What else? I'm sure there's things I'm forgetting. Please shop on Amazon using my banner. I also have Amazon UK on that steep podcast.com. The show is now on YouTube. So you can see this episode and the last two on YouTube on my YouTube channel, youtube.com. What is it? Slash Christina comedy. Ugh, I hate that one. I'm gonna have to change that one. It's just, it's too on the nose. And I believe that's it for my announcements. Let's get started. You guys big episode. Um, I'm stoked. Oh, you know what? I was going to play one Ramon song, but I like this one. Oh, let's please not have an advertiser. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hold on. Sorry guys. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> every time I come in the studio, it's, uh, things are moved around. We're always updating things ugh, and trying to get things, um, perfect. And with that, you know, you know, the enemy of good is perfect. Okay, here we go. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. She 
Hi, welcome to That's Deep Bro. I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky. And this is take two. You don't know this, but I fucking was rambling and I wasn't recording. So I'm going to do this again. Damn you, technology. But whatever. It's, It's great. Thank you for watching this. I just ate my microphone. Thank you for downloading it. Um, so firstly, I'm going to start by saying that when my husband's out of town, I've noticed that I, I love to, uh, watch dog shit movies and, um, I, you should see my iTunes bill right now. I got the email notification this morning, (laughs) you know, that runs down all the shameful crap that you've been watching, reading, downloading, whatever. And it was just, um, a series of just mediocre romantic movies, right? Last week I discussed No Strings Attached, which mom really liked that one. I started, I, anything Bridget Jones, I go there too. Um, I love the Royal Tenenbaums. I'll watch that. I, any, you know, Rushmore. And then I go to last night's selection, Crazy Stupid Love. With Steve Carell, who's fan, who's always funny. I mean, that guy's just uh, so funny and wonderful. Emma Emma Tom, Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, whatever. She's very smart and rad too. And then Ryan Gosling. <sighs> I mean, is there anybody cuter than fucking Ryan Gosling? <laughs> okay, ladies. And I don't really like hunky hunky dudes i'll tell you at real talk i've never liked um the guy that everyone else thinks is objectively hot like i've just never i my first sexual dream was about john goodman growing up truth when i was like 13 years old or something and i've always liked um ah, what was that what did i fucking drop i've always liked um oh who cares uh the uh, the oddballs I like personality over, over aesthetics. That's just me. I mean, I don't have a type. Like in my past, there's like, you know, I've got Russian Jewish guys. I've got Chinese guy. I've got white, blonde hair, blue eyed, Puerto Ricans. Shh, don't tell my husband. And I, uh, I don't have a type, but man, that Ryan Gosling, that Ryan Gosling, I may lick his b-hole. That's how much... I like Ryan Gosling. No lie. And I bet it's clean because he looks clean. Don't tell my husband that. But he he looks sanitary. There's not a lot of hair there. Um, and I don't like blondes normally, but something, something about him. Just love him. He does look very sensitive, right? Like he looks like he would actually listen to your feelings and really give a shit. I don't know. I don't know. But I got to thinking because, you know, he's with, um, in real life, he's with that uh, Ava Mendez. They have like two kids together. And I mean, can you even imagine what it's like for two really, I mean, really attractive people to have sex? That's got to be just um, unfathomably good looking, beautiful. Like I've... I feel like when Ryan Gosling and Ava Mendez fuck, a double rainbow appears in Africa and, and India, like Calcutta, in the streets of Calcutta, just waves of joy spread through shitty countries. I don't know why I have to make them shitty countries, but I, I feel like they're so, attra- like, who's that good looking? And how do you find, uh, I don't know, it, it blows my mind because I know that when Tom and I do it, we don't look like that. 
I mean, have you ever caught yourself in the mirror while you're doing it? Just us normal people. You know how disgusting I look naked? <laughs> disgusting both Tom and I look naked. It's our bodies are garbage naked. Just garbage dumps. My flat, mushy purple tits. Ugh. Ugh. But you know what? I I like watching attractive people do it. You know, I don't mind watching um I mean, not not porn, but I don't, I don't mind watching Ryan Gosling take off his t-shirt. I'll tell you what, <laughs> I'll spend $14 on that movie. I bought it. Okay, so what keeps fucking knocking on here? All right, I'm going to get into the topic for today. My friend recommended a book that is just blowing my mind. <sighs> because I think the author of this book and I may have been separated at birth. We may have shared a uterus. We may have shared uh, a brain at one point. His name is Mark Manson, unfortunate last name. Uh, But the book is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, It's an audio book too, so you can listen to it. That's what I've been doing. And wow, I mean, first of all, I love the use of profanity in the title. It's very bold. And especially because a lot of uh, agents and book people will be like, you don't want to alienate people. You don't want to alienate. Nobody's going to buy anyone had to F word. And I'm sure that a lot of people told him not to put fuck in the title and this and that. But I love that it's such a good choice and it's such a bold choice. And the book opens with my favorite. It opens with the story of who? Charles Bukowski, um, who I've talked about on this show many times. Bukowski, Bukowski, as a lot of people say. I think it's Bukowski, right? What is he, a, a Russian? No, German. Bukowski was German. His parents were... His father beat the shit out of him, horribly abusive background, Um, and Bukowski was a failed author. He was a drunk. He was self-admittedly a very ugly man. He would talk about how unattractive he was, and a large part of that was because he had acne as a teenager. Mother of fucks. I keep getting texts from Mary Lynn Rice Cup. Stop. It's not Mary Lynn's fault. That's mine. Oh, I got to fucking close this out. Let's just hope nobody else (laughs) texts me. Shit, hold on. Please hold. Press pause. Fucking. Okay, I hope this works. Okay, I'm back. Uh, So the reason Bukowski had uh, bad skin is because he had horrible acne and that was in the um, 50s, I'm guessing, maybe earlier, I don't know. Uh, they didn't treat, they didn't have these uh, whatever pro, proactive shit on the um, infomercials and, and he's, his face was badly scarred. Uh, he was a drunk, he drank all night and he wrote in the night and he'd see a lot of prostitutes. I think he had a lot of trouble with women uh, really had a hard time connecting with them emotionally. And he was a failed writer. And the guy wrote and wrote for decade after decade. And during the day, he worked at the post office sorting the mail. Like he would do it by zip codes. It's, I don't know, it's te- it sounds really, really tedious. So I have so much respect for postal workers and FedEx delivery people. I'm sorry, I mispronounced that. It's FedEx, um, UPS. God damn, what a hard job. What a difficult job. So anyways... He has this existence. He's a failed writer, 
And at the age of 50, finally, finally, a publisher likes his work and takes a chance on a drunk loser named Charles Bukowski. And he goes, all right, I can't, you know, the editor says, I got this. I don't have much money to give you. Um, What do you got? And in three months, Bukowski wrote the book Post Office, which is one of my absolute favorite books. I've talked about it on the show a lot because it's very funny. It's very honest. And I love it because he's an anti-hero, an American anti-hero. And, you know, in our American culture, we don't really dig the anti-hero as much let's say Europeans do, <laughs> or we're just weirdos. We, we tend to like the, the, uh, the winners, right? And I do too. I love the fucking, come on. I mean, who do I, who do I like the most? Just look at the fucking bums you hang around with. Dan Pena, winner, winner, lives in a castle in Scotland. But the anti-hero of Bukowski, so he's 50 years old, and he gets this cult following, and finally he gets the money, he gets the women, he gets everything he wants. And on his tombstone at the time of his death, he dies. And on his tombstone is written, don't try. And so that's how this book opens up. And so what's the meaning? Now, first of all, we all love the story of Bukowski because he's the American dream, right? The guy that never gives up and he had a vision and he went for it. And finally he gets the gold trophy and he's a winner. And now he's got the girls and he's got the money and blah, blah, blah. But the fact is Bukowski got the money, got the women, got the fame, and he was still a miserable cunt, right? He would still show up drunk at, at readings. He would still hit his girlfriend. He was still a derelict, drunk piece of shit, which goes to show that all that stuff, and you've heard it a million times before, doesn't make you fucking happy. It just, puts a, it just magnifies sometimes your problems, which is why you see celebrities losing their fucking minds. Because uh, if you're a piece of shit before you get famous, well, guess what? You're, you're just now a piece of shit in the public eye. Like now everyone just knows what a big piece of shit you are. <laughs> That's the only thing that happens to you. So, so Bukowski is uh, don't try. Don't try is where this book begins. Don't try. Which goes against seemingly everything American that we hold dear right? Don't try. How could you say don't try? How can you say don't try when there's a million self-help gurus out there telling me that I need to jump up and up and down in the morning and get excited. You got to get excited. You got to be positive. You got to fucking do 50 push-ups and be fit. You know, you got to take on life, grab it by the ball. And I love that stuff. I love Tony Robbins. I'll, I'll watch that, you know, stuff on, on the internet. I love Abraham Hicks and Wayne, all, all these people. Louise Hay, absolutely. Huge fan. But I find what happens, and I think what happens to a lot of human beings, is that you you watch the stuff, you get fired up, you get real positive for a minute, and then, bam, what happens? Well, life happens, right? Um, you get a huge bill from your doctor that you can't afford to pay. Uh, your dog barfs on your carpet. Now you got to go to the vet in the middle of the day and who can fucking do that? Uh, your kid's sick or whatever it is. Life happens. You don't get the thing you wanted. And now what? And now you got to remain positive, right? Because I got to stay positive. I don't stay positive. I'm not going to get what I want. I got to stay focused and keep my eye on the prize. And And this is the beautiful part of this book that Mark Manson touches on that I've been trying to articulate and not doing it as well as he has is that there's a flaw in the self-help movement and the flaw is this incessant need, this incessant drive towards positivity. 
right? If you're not positive, you're not a winner, you're not going to make it. And if you're not going to, and, and guess what? That is damn near impossible to maintain. And not only that, it's dangerous. Now I've always felt it was dangerous because it simply ignores the dark spots, right? Everybody's got their dark spots. Everyone's got the stuff they're working on. Everyone's got the, the sadness, right? And we all have it. We all have existential angst. That's what the show is about. I believe now looking back, it's really about existential angst. And the problem with the self-help movement is that it doesn't allow space for the dark shit that just happens, the bad stuff of life. Uh, your mom gets cancer and fucking dies. You're going to fucking die. Uh, everybody you know is going to fucking die. Bad things happen all the time to great people. Um, sometimes not to bad people enough, which I, I really do think, you know, only the good die early. I think that's what my mother used to say all the time. Only the good die young. Yeah. So anyway, the, the point being, um, this incessant need for positivity for the relentless pursuit of being a fucking winner is really harmful when, okay, when you become a human being and you come down from the message and you've done your push-ups and everything and something bad happens or a bad feeling, I'm lonely, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. And instead of just acknowledging those feelings and being like, yeah, shit sucks sometimes. Suffering, suffering's part of the human drama. It'll pass. I'll suffer today. I'll cry. Instead, what happens because of the incessant need of the self-help thing, we go, oh, I, I feel anxious or depressed. Ah, but I shouldn't. I shouldn't, right? I, I should be happy and positive. I Shit, now, fuck. Now you're flogging yourself for being depressed, anxious, whatever. And now that creates what he calls a negative feedback loop. Now you're looping. So it's not bad enough that you feel anxious, sad, depressed, but now you're flogging yourself for being anxious, sad, and depressed, right? And so this whole thing of don't try works on what is called the backwards law, which is, which is um, not an unfamiliar message. If you've, got, if you've listened to this show, I discuss Buddhism, the Eastern thought a lot because I love Western philosophy. I studied that, but it really, Western philosophy doesn't teach you how to live a good life. It doesn't teach you how to live. It just teaches you about obscure shit like the soul, angels, things like that. Uh, language, you know, good things, good things, but really not a practical thing. So don't try a negative feedback. Well, what does this mean? Does this mean that we shouldn't try for things? Is he saying that we shouldn't go for the car, the house, the beautiful wife, the the talking head song, you know? No, it means we should go for it. But there's this law, the backwards law, which is, if you've noticed, by the way, you have to go through suffering and pain to get the good thing. And a great example of that is if you want a better body, you got to go to the gym, period. And I know there's a multi-million dollar industry trying to convince you otherwise. Uh, my husband lost 40 pounds. He didn't do it because he bought some fucking piece of shit thing on the infomercial at midnight. No, he did it through diet and exercise. That's how you lose weight, diet, exercise, suffering on top of suffering, misery upon misery, <laughs> right? Diets are fucking terrible. And that's why nobody likes to, excuse me, stick to them because they're suffering. It's suffering. It's pain. But in order to get the good body, you must go through the suffering and the misery and the pain. 
Now, here's the problem with the negative feed, negative looping shit, right? If you're thinking to yourself, oh, I wish I had a better body. Oh, I wish I had a better body. Uh, But I'm such a fat fuck. I'm such a fat fuck. The dwelling on what you don't have is generally why people fail. So the backwards law says, well, fuck it, then don't try so hard at it. Don't focus so hard on it. Just fucking chill out and do it. And sometimes doing the opposite is what'll get you there, right? If you're always thinking, for instance, being on a diet, I myself, I've, I've been on a diet since uh, the holidays. And I find the more I think about it, the more I fuck it up. Don't think about food. Don't think about food. Don't think about food. Well, what does that make you do? Think about food. So I fucking distract myself. I don't think about it so much, right? I make the appointment to see the Pilates lady and I just show up. I don't fucking think about it. I just do it. <laughs> that way I don't even suffer. The suffering is an hour and then I've done it and then it's gone. But we want to avoid the suffering all the time. And that's the problem with the positivity of the self-help movement is that it doesn't leave room for the inevitability of suffering. And, and by the way, to get anything good, it involves tremendous amounts of suffering. And we as humans want to run away from the suffering. We don't want to look down the barrel. We don't want to go into the heart of darkness because it fucking sucks. It, it's terrible. You know, I mean, how many people email me like, I want to be a stand-up comic, but I don't know how. Well, really what they're saying is, I, I know what I have to do, but A, I want your permission. And B, I don't want to have a hard fucking time doing it. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be poor for 10 years. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a failure, which who does? I, I totally, you know, fuck, I was a fucking, I'm still a fucking loser sometimes, right? Everybody is. Um, so there you go. And, and, and uh, oh, wait, hold on, he wrote down. Oh, and it's interesting because avoiding, this is what he talks about, that avoiding the suffering, avoiding um, pain, avoiding the bad stuff is suffering. Avoiding suffering is a form of suffering. And we have to learn to embrace the bad and embrace the bullshit and embrace the good as well and not get not in constant pursuit of the good, the good, the good, the positive, the feel good, the feel good, the feel good. And I've talked about this before. There's a lecture um, I always think about that Ram Dass has on his podcast. Ram Dass has a podcast, believe it or not. They put it together for him. Yeah. Uh, but Ram Dass talks about this too, this relentless pursuit of happiness, which is a very American ideal and why it's so tricky because, because it's, okay, well, let's go for a date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get a babysitter. Okay, let's go for a date night. Yeah, let's go, uh, let's go to a movie first. Great. Let's go see the movie. The movie was fun. Now what? Now what? Now what? Well, let's go for the, let's go get a pizza. Yeah, let's get a pizza. Okay. And then after the pizza, now what? Now what? Now what? Now let's go get the ice cream. Yeah, let's get the ice cream. Okay. Now what? Now what? Now let's get the drinks. Yeah, let's get the drinks. But I want to keep the party going. I want to keep the good times going. I don't want to go, And you're not even enjoying what you're doing because you're waiting for the next fix. You're planning the next fix so that you'll never feel the low. You'll never feel the crash of the suffering. And that, I mean, of course, that is what our economy is built on, right? The avoidance of suffering. Why should you suffer? You can buy a car. Buy this shiny BMW. You won't suffer. You'll get laid. You'll look good. Everyone's going to envy you. Why age? Don't age. You can buy a skin cream that's going to stop that from happening. Don't you worry about that, ladies. You want to look better? You want to feel prettier? Buy this thing. Get that thing. Buy this jacket. Get laid get happy and never, never, never suffer. God forbid anything bad happens. Very interesting. And it's, it's funny because when I think about um, 
even something as horrible as 9-11 when people, when that happened, it was kind of like a shock to America that, that really bad shit can happen to us, you know? And I, and I agree. I was totally one of those people that was like, not here. What are you fucking kidding me? Like we're number one, man, this doesn't happen here. And that was like the first thing I think now too, there's some kind of collective thing happening where people are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This doesn't happen here, does it? Oh boy. And it sure and certainly is. Ah, but I digress. So avoiding suffering is suffering. And by doing little, you actually achieve much more. When you stop trying, it's, it, it, that is like such a fucking Zen truth. Um, and by the way, the stuff that Mark Manson talks about, it's a wonderfully accessible explanation of enlightenment. You know, they, the Buddhas and all these people, they don't actually explain enlightenment because I think to explain it is like uh, taboo. It's considered not cool <laughs> to explain enlightenment. Um, so this guy, Mark Manson, explains kind of what enlightenment is. He even talks about Siddhartha. If you've read the book Siddhartha, the Buddha, the Buddha, uh, it's based on the story of the Buddha. Uh, one of the most like famous dudes in history, right? Am I right? So the backwards law, the law that says don't try. Very interesting. And if you've ever done it before, I think you know that it kind of fucking works, right? Because you know when you really want something to happen, like, come on, come on. Um, Any time in my career, I've really wanted something. I really, really fucking want it. I'm going to push for it. I'm going to push. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the phone calls. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. That is when your energy is so repulsive to people. <laughs> it, you know what I mean? The, the people can smell the desperation a mile away. They can tell that you're just you know, too hungry for it. And at least in my business, that's like total repellent when people sense that you actually want to do something. And the power of no is tremendous, which I've spoken about at length on this show as well. Um, but if you ever notice how when you're kind of effortless about something, how much better it is, how, how much freer you are to tap into your own unconscious, you know, whatever subconscious flow and it just happens and it just kind of rolls and there's no fight and there's no efforting. You're not, there's no hardness to what you're doing. And I think, and that's when shit happens, right? Same with love. It's especially true in dating and love. I've always found that, that the minute you want the relationship, I want a relationship. I want to get married. I want a husband. I want this and where is this going and are we going to do this? And is it, you know, that is fucking repellent. Ugh. I mean, is there anything grosser when you're dating somebody, the, the, where is this going talk and, and you have it too soon. I'm saying like the first date, the first date girl, we've all heard about people like that. Where is this going? I want to have kids by the time I'm 30. Well, fuck, it's disgusting. It's repellent. So the backwards law says, just stop efforting. Just be easy chill the fuck out. Don't think about it. And also as we get older, uh, this book talks about how when you reach middle age, which is kind of where I'm at too, you go, no, no, I'd rather not. Just, I don't fucking, I don't care. There's something that shifts in you. Your priorities change and you realize that your family's way more important than stuff that you used to care about your loved ones, your friends, your whatever, whatever it is that you value 
outweighs all the shit that you cared about in the last few decades of your life. I was, um, I had lunch with a friend yesterday and I, I was telling her like, oh, I've got this great business idea because she's in between gigs and thinking about starting her own thing. And I was like, oh, I've got to tell you this great idea because if there's one thing I love doing, it's solving other people's problems, right? Like I, I know what's going to make you happier, right? Because I'm a genius and I, I figure out your life for you. And so I was telling her how to fix her life, which is what I do best. And, um, and she goes, you know, that's such a great business idea. She goes, well, why, why don't you do it? I think you'd, you have a great brain for it. You should do it. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, no, I'm just fine. No, I'm too tired. Like, I, <laughs> uh, not that I, I wouldn't, but if someone had asked me 10 years ago, I may have been like, yeah, sure, let's do it. But you also realize the older you get, the less energy you have to devote to shit that doesn't really get you fired up and excited. And I just wouldn't be that excited about this thing to wake me up every day and, and to like to do it. Um, but like I said, you know, fixing her life, let her do it. It's perfect. But there is something wonderful about reprioritizing and restructuring your life so that you um, you stop trying. And and maybe that was Bukowski's key of just stopping. Stop stop the sub- submitting to places that reject you. He got rejected so much. <laughs> he was like, nobody got him. He was too dark. He was too whatever. And nobody got him um, until this one person took a chance on him. And oh, oh, another thing about Bukowski that this guy talks about, um, the magic of Bukowski is that he wasn't trying to not be himself. He wasn't trying to be a winner. In fact, his glory was in being a loser. He was really a profound loser. And he was really good at being an alcoholic POS. And that was his, uh, his claim to fame. That's what got him there to begin to, at the end of the day was just being a piece of shit. And, uh, I, you know, I got to tell you that I struggle very much with, uh, my dark side of the force. If you guys have listened to this show long enough, you know that I, I, you know, there are times I'm really ashamed of all the fucking nonsense I went through the first, I don't know, 20 years of my life. And the last 20 years have just been trying to be quote normal. Truly. Like I'm just trying to be, um, I'm just trying to be what I think everyone else is a little bit, you know? And like, uh, there's an idea I have out there of what it should look like it, the big it. And I've just been trying to do it. And, and just until recently, I think I just, um, I'm starting to relax on that and be like, you know what? There's just a part of me that is fucking dark. Like I'm, I'm really at my core. I'm not saying depressed. I'm not depressed a lot, but, uh, there's just a lot of darkness, I think. And it's not, it wasn't mine. It was given to me by whatever circumstances, whatever things I've been through in my early part of my life. Like my childhood's kind of dark and adolescence fucking dark. And that's just how it is. That's how it was. It's not my fault, but I do get shameful about it. And I, I know I fall into this, which is why this is so appealing to me as a book, because I'm, I think those of us looking for self-help stuff, there's darkness. There's a lot of shit that we don't want to have known. There's a lot of shame associated with being a little dark-sided. Because uh, first of all, our society definitely doesn't privilege that. 
if you look at Facebook or Instagram, I mean, people are posting, it's only the winning stuff, right? It's only like, look at me and my new baby. Look at me and my prom. Look at me and my friends with just a bunch of empowered women at dinner. Ah, everything's amazing. And while that's good, that's one side of life. Like nobody posts the pictures of them sitting in their fucking pajamas, petting their two small dogs and watching uh, crazy, stupid love <laughs> alone while their kid sleeps. Like the, there's just no, you know, those moments, those real moments just don't really get shown. And so I think some of us, me in particular, we go like, Oh God, am I like, am I the fucking loser here? Cause I, my life is not that fantastic. Like I, you know, I'm up at the crack of dawn with the kids screaming, crying. That's, that's how my mornings begin. They don't start, um, Oh, Christina's macro crow. They don't start, uh, with, with me looking amazing, um, leaning over and lovingly kissing my husband. And then we have waffles in bed and then we make sweet love and, uh, and then we giggle. Like, no, what happens is my kid wakes up screaming at five thirty in the morning. I let him just cry a little until I can fucking get my head around it. Around six a.m., I get up. I he's calmed down by then. He wakes up and then he just plays in his crib. And then I brush my teeth. I find a pair of socks next to the bed that are dirty that I've taken off from the night before. I find some kind of a stay-at-home bra. I've got many layers of bras. There's the don't fuck with, don't, I'm not leaving the house bra. Like once you're home and you put on the soft bra, that's how you know you're not leaving the house again. Put that thing on. Find one of my husband's shirts. Put, you know, take a piss, brush your teeth, roll downstairs, let the dogs out, get the coffee, get the bottle, get the kid. And, you know, 6.30 in the morning by then. <laughs> Sound glamorous enough yet? There's no Instagram post of that. (laughs) Or what about when I got to clean his diaper and there's shit everywhere and he's barfed on me when I put him down? Like all that never goes anywhere. Never. So there's a part of every human that's like, wow, my life is fucking dog shit, right? Because everyone else's just seems so infinitely glamorous. But that's just not the case. The case is we're all uh, sad, lonely at times, depressed at times, anxious at times. And the key is to allow for it. And and what the Buddhists say, uh, the Eastern thought says, is let it pass through you, right? Let it pass through you. The bad feelings pass through you. Uh, you feel them, not to ignore them, not to be Zen, blissed out, meditative all the time that you're not feeling shit. But just let it go. And then it'll, whatever. Life goes on and to endure the suffering, to live through the suffering, to like be one with the suffering. Cause frankly, I mean, I think I read this in the, in this mommy book I was reading, mm, not a positive mommy book. It's like the myth of mommyhood. Uh, it said that motherhood, no, Irma, Irma Beck wrote this, that motherhood is suffering sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes is suffering. And I was like, oh, that fucking makes so much sense because it, it's not all giggly, you know, Pampers commercial moments where the woman is just, oh, I'm so happy. My kissing my baby's toes and he just took a big shit and I'm going to wipe it up. We're going to laugh. <laughs> it's not. It's uh, there's moments of suffering where you're exhausted and you can't do this shit anymore, but you have to keep going. 
You have to, you have to keep doing this stuff. You have to keep parenting. There's no break. There's no stop. And then, you know, and then it passes. And I think to myself when I'm in those, all right, this is going to last about 10 minutes. And in 10 minutes from now, the crying will stop. The diaper will be changed and it'll be fine. And we'll just roll into the next moment, you know? Anyway, uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Check it out. It's, it's pretty fucking amazing. Oh, you know what I always get? I don't know if you guys are ever listened to. I just had to share this one thought. Hey, House Radio. I listened to it. It's, it's an app on the iPhone or whatever, Android. The hey House, it's called Hey House Radio. Louise Hay founded it. I love it. I love it. It's got fucking people that talk to animals, you know, like dog psychics. It's got a man who channels the spirit named Margaret. And he talks in a woman's voice and Margaret's voice. It's so great. You've got to fucking listen to Hay House Radio. Um, but one thing that always irritates me is, and I know that they tell their hosts to do this because it's funny because every one of these hosts that's here to help you also has a seminar to plug or also has a book to plug. And it's really like a thinly veiled thing for um, advertising books and stuff. But they always start their fucking shows by being like, hello, this is... Samantha with the tapping solution. You're going to tap your anus until you find the meaning of life. And I'm so excited to share with you today. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to share this with you today. And you're like, oh, shut up. Just shut up. You're so excited. Wow. You just so, are you so fucking jazzed? Are we, are we thrilled enough? Are we excited enough? Oh, it just makes me sick. Okay. I mean, because there's a time and place for being happy and thrilled, obviously, but just every time you got something to share, you're just that, I'm so ramped up about this thing I'm going to sell you. I'm so thrilled. And it's such a, it's such a fucking sales tactic, you know? Okay. Uh, let me do some, okay, good. Let me do some emails and then, uh, and then, yeah, this is so funny. So I was talking about my veneers and uh, Aquafresh, by the way, a lot of, Great suggestions on what to do with the Aquafresh flavor I'm not enjoying. Uh, You guys said to donate it to a homeless shelter. And I thought, why didn't I think of that? That's a great idea. I've got some other stuff I'm going to donate to the homeless shelter too. So thanks for writing in about that. And uh, so anyway, the reason I talk about Aquafresh a few weeks back is that I was realizing that I was punishing myself by ordering uh, this drink at Starbucks, a cold drink, and drinking it through a straw because I was thinking that it would keep my veneers whiter because <laughs> they're so painful to have veneers. And I have this thing of like keeping them white. Um, so, but I was ordering this drink that made my stomach hurt and I finally stopped doing it. I've gone back to the warm drink that doesn't hurt my stomach. Anyway. Uh, okay. This woman writes in, I just listened to you talking about drinking coffee through a straw. I've had porcelain veneers on my six, six top front teeth for about 16 to 17 years. Oh my gosh. The veneers are not porous and they do not stain. Maybe yours are of a different material and staining is a valid concern. Uh, But as far as I know, the porcelain, you don't need to take extra caution in regard to staining. Oh, you might want to double check with your dentist. Yeah, because here's the thing, man. I, I, uh, I think mine do because they're made of glass or something. Like they're they're not, I don't know what they are made of, but I was told that like, be careful with the red wine and not only that, they'll stain my other teeth. That's the thing I'm worried about. So then I'll have like multicolored uh, teeth like corn. You ever seen like the corn that's like white and then 
light yellow, dark yellow, brown. Like I, I got to be careful with that, man. I know. And I love my coffee. I'm drinking it now. Fuck. And here's the other problem. She says that you don't drink through a straw warm fluid because it's going to melt it and the plastic is going to get into my stomach. So if anybody knows my fucking solution here, do they make a straw that you can drink coffee through, hot coffee that won't melt the plastic and ruin your life? Please let me know. Write to me. That's deeprobepodcast at gmail.com. I'm, I'm, I need to find a solution to this problem because I really like keeping my teeth white, but I really like coffee. <sighs> See? Mm. All right. So thank you, Angie, for writing in. Okay. Oh, eh, There we go. This one is from a lady. Um, she's 25 years old with two kids, a three-year-old and a nine-month-old. Holy moly. I know shit is crazy. Ha ha. She writes, three-year-old and a nine-month-old. Yeah, that's, that is a lot. I'm married and my husband is 10 years older than me. I work as a paraeducator, which means I work with children with special needs. God bless you, man. God damn it. God bless those people that work with special needs and like old people. You know what I mean? Ah, oh, you guys are so nice. So my life is pretty hectic, but I'm very blessed. I need advice on how I should handle, quote, growing up as in maturing and being a great wife and mommy. I feel like at times I'm trying to figure out and find who I am and my identity while keeping my family stable. At times, this is way too much for me. I see a therapist weekly, but a mommy like you could provide me with the best advice. You've helped me through so many times. Okay, thank you. I'm a huge fan. Okay, so uh, growing up, maturing, trying to figure out and find out who I am and my identity while keeping my family stable. You know, that is such a frequent email uh, that I get from women. That seems to be a big, big uh, thing is the balance between family work and getting your own life, getting your entire life and finding out who you are and what you're about. And, um, it's really fucking hard, especially at your age. Cause you're so young. You started young. Not that that's a bad thing. I've, you know, there's people that, that totally ends up giving their life guidance. I know people that start having kids at 17, 18, and it's like the best thing they ever did because they may have been kind of fucking around before. Uh, I'll tell you what. There's two ways. I cannot believe that. I'm sorry. I keep getting fucking text messages. Uh, oh, I know. I can mute this. But um, bum. Who's a fucking genius? Okay. What you can do? There's two ways to get to get your life. Okay. And a lot of people think finding yourself involves separating from what you're in and going on what is known as a sannyasin journey. Isn't that what that's called? The sannyasin? The man that sits alone under a Bodhi tree. Or is that Siddhartha? I don't know. That's what the Buddha, the Buddha did, sat under a Bodhi tree uh, for 45 days, came up with the meaning of his existence. You know, there's that mythology that you have to get away from things to figure out who you are. And for some people, yeah, that's the, that's the road. For me, that was the road. I literally... Uh, traveled and did comedy around the world and, and spent a lot of time alone and isolated. But at the end of the day, I'm not so sure that's the right approach because you really do develop only in, not only in, but often in relationship to others. It is within those relationships that we define ourselves and we define 
what we stand for and what meaning is. Um, Martin Heidegger, I've mentioned this before on this show, but Martin Heidegger is a philosopher, German. Unfortunately, we just read his diaries and figured out, huge fucking Nazi. So a lot of his work is um, discredited. Surprise, surprise. But there's an idea of his. It's totally unrelated to race, so don't worry. You can enjoy it. (laughs) Uh, But Heidegger... German philosopher around the existential period of philosophy, philosophy, um, had this wonderful thought that the meaning of being is located in care. The word care, meaning whatever we lend our focus to, whatever we lend uh, in relationship to what we exist, we don't exist in a vacuum. And Heidegger was really great at pointing that out. And he was kind of a, kind of a fuck you to Western philosophy that, you know, the Western philosophers had us as like brains and jars, right? That we just kind of exist in a vacuum and we're in this autonomous beings that don't exist in relationship to others. And um, I'm pretty sure it was Heidegger, forgive me if it's not, but a lot of his work is about how, no, we exist in the world. We're of the world. Oh, Marlou Ponty too. And the flesh of the world is the, the terminology that he uses, the flesh of the world. You don't exist in a vacuum, And the idea that you should, quote, find yourself outside of these relationships, outside of this stuff, it's almost not possible because you are in relationship to others and you are in how you care to others. Now, I don't know if I'm getting too existential for you, if that's the question you're asking me, but it might be something as simple as having a hobby unrelated to everyday things that you do. I can't tell you how much... um, I haven't even talked about this on the show, but I, I started taking drawing lessons just as a way to like totally unplug from the everydayness. I want to do something I'm not good at and that I will beat myself up over because I'm not perfect at it. I want to challenge myself in that way. And I want to see what I can do there, right? So I chose, I'm choosing this hobby and I'm doing this hobby and it's been really, really great for me because when you give your brain a chance to breathe from all the shit that it normally deals with, you get a nice sense of peace and a nice sense of identity too from that stuff. So my suggestion, boo-boos, you got a lot going on at home. And I think uh, wait until that nine-month-old is a little bit more stabilized, you know what I mean? Because it's still at that kind of tender age. Uh, But definitely try to do something out of the norm for yourself. That might help because you're very young and maybe what you're telling me is that you don't know what what you like and maybe those types of things. And that takes time. That's a learning process. You know, you're not, some people just know what they like intuitively. I didn't, took many years. Take like a class in one thing you like. Go fucking make pottery. Go meet other women. Go make an art. Go take a dance lesson singing, whatever the fuck it is that's just not part of your everyday life. And you can do that with a nine-month-old and a three-year-old. I think your husband can watch these kids for a couple of hours a week while you go do something just for yourself. Am I right? And if he doesn't want to, I don't blame him, but he's going to have to. Otherwise, his wife is going to go fucking crazy. (laughs) All right. I wanted to answer this last email, and then I got to go. I got to go meet my buddy for lunch. Okay. 
So this is kind of a dark one, but I think it's neat because it ties into what we were talking about this whole episode, which is uh, A, don't try, and B, the dark side of the force, right? Must be embraced. Suffering is part of life. It's just a fact. It's, It's neither good nor bad. It just is. So here, I will read this one. Hi, Mommy Jeans. I have a question for you. My mom was diagnosed with cancer last December, and as of now, there is only one person I attempted to talk to but ended up with me ignoring my obvious feelings about it and awkwardly laughing my way to a new topic. For some reason, I can't help but think that by me engaging in that conversation, I'm only doing it to get sympathy. The moment I feel the urge to spill my emotions to someone, I immediately think it's not about me. I guess my question is, which side of my brain do I follow? I don't want to use the situation as a cry for attention, but I also feel that I need to cry for another's affection. Answer if you can. Thanks, bro. Okay, buddy. Buddy. You know, so many of us I have this thing too where you you think that if you're asking for help, it's like a cry for attention, right? Um, I have the same fucking problem, right? Whenever I want to ask for like I want to express my feelings. I think, oh my God, this is so, it's so narcissistic or this is ugh, so gross. I mean, I've struggled with myself on this podcast going, ugh, is this, this is disgusting. I am such a narcissist. I fucking hate this. I can't talk about myself. I can't talk about my feelings. It's so gross. And I, you know, I don't know where that comes from. That's definitely some kind of horrible childhood issue, obviously. Hello. But Uh, I'll tell you, I went through the exact same thing. My mother was diagnosed with cancer for the first time when I was like um, a senior in in college, sorry. And uh, when you hear that for the first time that someone has cancer, like at least for me, I was convinced that she was going to die in a week and I couldn't stop crying and it was like the end of the world, blah, blah, blah. Now, let me tell you, remember how I said that evil, evil don't die, only the good die young? Yeah. Well, don't worry about it. My mom lived for another fucking 20 years and had cancer another time and open heart surgery and all this other shit. So, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily a death sentence right away. So there, is your mom shitty? She might live forever. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was terrible. And uh, the evil preserves the cells structure. Did you know that? That when you're a shitty person, it somehow puts a nice coating over your cells so they don't actually break down and multiply as cancer. That's how people like Donald Trump stay healthy for so long. And uh, Putin um, and Stalin too. So, okay. You're not, you're not asking for attention, my love, when you're asking for support. That's the difference here, right? You, you feel like it is this way because probably somewhere along the lines you were made to feel embarrassed or belittled for having feelings. Unfortunately, that's how we raise boys, uh, that you should suck it up. I don't know if we do that so much now, but I know my dad's generation, boy, you were a big old homo if, God forbid, you had feelings about stuff. You know, there's a lot of that macho shit still around in the world, I'm sure, where men aren't supposed to have feelings and be um, and be uh, stoic and unfeeling, which is just, uh, frankly, that's what makes serial killers. And um, so, yeah, you're not. You, you need to get support here. You need to have people to cry with on around because it's really devastating to hear that kind of news. And I know because I was there too. And um, yeah, get a support group. Find people that you trust. That's another thing. Don't don't tell just anybody your story, you know. 
you got to be real selective about who you confide in and who gets to hear the shit that you got to say, you know. Um, yeah, you're, you're overthinking this. And that's another thing. You know, we have needs and then we overthink it, right? I've stopped doing this shit where I go like, you, you know when you have an impulse where you're like, I want to go outside and go sit in the sun. And then you outthink your impulse. You go, I don't want to, no, I just want to do that. It's too much work. Oh, I don't want to fucking do that. The dogs are going to run. I don't fucking, I can't I don't have time for that. And then, yeah, you've squashed down the impulse, the very thing that was sent to you as a gift to kind of like, oh, hey, dummy, go do that. That's what you need to do. So I'm telling you, boo-boo, this bad thing has happened to you and you feel shitty and you want to have support. And what happened? Instead of getting the support, and feeling better about it, you flogged yourself, right? I, I would like to have empathy right now. No, I don't. That's not, oh, that's not a thing you do, right? Am I being too this? Am I that? You flogged yourself for having the need instead of just going and finding a sympathetic ear, um, somebody to share this burden with. Because it is a burden. When, when family gets sick, when your parents are sick, it's a really, really tragic thing. And it's a, it's a shitty thing to go through alone, most definitely. So my heart goes out to you, little jeans, little bro. I'm very sorry about that. Um, but again, I don't know. You don't say what, what she's diagnosed with or the severity of it. But just know that uh, that uh, sometimes it's not always like an immediate immediate death sentence. And um, she may prevail. I don't know. So there you go. Uh, I think that's all I got for you guys today. Email me. That's deeprobepodcast at gmail.com. And um, come see me do stand-up live. I just added Denver, Sacramento. I'm doing San Francisco. I'm doing Brea, Irvine Improv. Tom and I are doing your mom's house live. We added a nine o'clock show. That one is almost sold out. So get your tickets now to that. Go to thousandranch.com. That's T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D ranch.com. Those are two of my favorite salad dressings mixed together to get tickets to all of my live shows. And that's it, Jeans. And um, that's been deep, bro. What a, what a, I'm really excited to have shared this stuff with you. I'm just really excited. I mean, what an exciting, positive thing, guys, right? <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Until next time. That's been deep, bro. Oh. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's tea, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.